Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's Craig Moore. What a piece. Beautifully struck home by Craig Moore and the Australian supporters go wild in Stuttgart. Why not? Touched by Kalash. Nixon's got a kick. Marcelo couldn't handle Wood on the set piece. It's a brilliant header. And Kale goes to Spitzaker. What about that? Here's Aloisi for a place in the World Cup. He's You're with Shim, Spider, and so much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello and welcome to episode two of Shim, Spider, and so much more. And before we start, a big thank you to those of you who followed us on Twitter, liked us on Facebook, downloaded episode one via Buzzsprout or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, etc., etc. We've already grown to nearly a thousand followers on Twitter And our initial numbers on episode one were very, very good. Over a thousand downloads. So thank you. And this is just the start. We will stick true to our ethos of calling it like it is. And we've got another big show coming up today, including our special guest, Sydney FC coach Steve Corriger, who of course stands on the brink of adding the premiership to the championship his team won last season. We've also added our first sponsor. Big thanks to Outback Steakhouse who very generously donated a $100 meal voucher to the winner of our question of the week. Details coming up. If you want to be in the running for that prize every week, then send your questions through to at Shimmuch, capital S, capital M, on Twitter or on Facebook. In the meantime, a very big hello to Zelko Kalatz and Craig Moore. Spider is on Twitter. Yeah, look, boys, it was a task. I've got to admit, it was a task. There was a lot of pressure. Uh, I felt I buckled under the peer pressure, and now I'm a part of it. <laughs> How are you finding it, Scott? Well, look, it, it sucks all the juice out of my phone. I will be honest. Uh, it is a busy little invention. It is. It's a busy little invention. But uh, I've blocked a few people accidentally. Sorry for that. Uh, I'll unblock you when I work it out properly. But uh, we're we're getting there. I'm I'm catching up with the times. Maury, what have you been up to, mate? Mate, I've just been enjoying following uh, Spider on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> no. Nah, <laughs> Spider, uh, it is just the thing is, how many people have you abused, or the other way around, how many people have abused you? 
Yeah, look, I haven't got to the abusing stage yet because I'm not that confident on it at the moment, Maury. So I'm just being all politically nice and correct at the moment. Well, that's about to change because we're going to get straight into our first segment, which we have every week, which is called Hard Talk. So we said this was going to be a podcast for the fans and we're going to be true to our words. So our first topic today on the back of the weekend's A-League action and our online poll, thank you very much to all 131 of you who voted, is this. Is the competition better off without VAR? 76% of you said yes, it is. This, of course, on the back of uh, the Sydney against Wellington opener on Friday, which contained one or two contentious decisions. Just want to read out one or two of your tweets. Greg Armstrong said, some calls were missed, but we all accept it. When VAR makes a call and we can't all agree, it becomes intolerable. Human error should be part of the game. Jonathan Finger said, I was at the game and it was so much more satisfying knowing the decision had been made and we could all move on. Michael Carbone agreed. The game flowed. In saying that, the A-League should partner with GoPro to provide in-goal vision for goal line technology. Yeah. Guys, uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, there were a couple of contentious decisions on Friday night, but were you happy with the fact that the ref had his authority given back to him, essentially? Maury, off you go. Yeah, mate. Look, I, I think I fall definitely into the, the 76% of people that said yes <clears throat> in terms of the VAR. Unfortunately, it is here for, for the future, but I'm certainly... Not a not a fan of it. I think what we've seen um, with the the restart Wellington and Sydney is the game at least flows um, and there's not this huge delay, which is um, it's not great for the viewer and it's certainly uh, not a great experience I think for for the fan either. Yes, there were a couple of tight calls. Uh, the Villa the the penalty, I can see why it was given. Could have easily not been given, and I think it was the. Uh, Hooper goal that was a borderline offside. No issue. I think um, without the VAR, the game, the flow, I think is so much better. So that's where I sit with it. I don't know about you, Spider. Yeah, I'm the same. Uh, I thought it was. I thought it was great. And you know what? The referee actually has to make decisions now. That's his job. Is that you know when we we say to players, do your job. Well, the referee's job is to make decisions. And the talking points during the week will be those decisions. Did they get them right? Did they get them wrong? It doesn't matter. The game just continued. Players didn't get in huddles to protest or anything like that. It was funny because you watch the coaches on the sideline, go have a look on the camera. Go, it's not there. The VAR's gone. Just make the decision and move on. Well, uh, far be it from me to uh, continue this collective loving, but uh, I, I'm in exactly the same boat. And I think, you know, you, you can... You can see what, what VAR essentially is based on when you listen to the post-game comments. And I'm not trying to throw Ufuk Tale under a bus here. He said he wants VAR back. I, I just cast our, want to cast our minds back to a, a game last season when Wellington Phoenix had a VAR decision go against them. Do you remember the Louis Fenton handball against Melbourne City yeah. where Louis let mm-hmm. slip a naughty word yeah. uh, in the post-game interview? <laughs> and, and this is what it's all about, isn't it? It's about self-interest in terms of the clubs. If it doesn't go for you, you want the VAR there. If it does, you, you know, you're, you're quite happy with the way things are. And my point is, I don't know if you agree, guys, I think that, you know, we're at a point in time where the the, the game needs to be for the supporters. And I don't think the supporters are getting great benefits out of VAR because they're confused. It's too much stop start Yeah, and if we had the audio for the referees, that might help a little bit. At least then we can Mm -hmm. hear them explaining why they're making uh, those decisions. 
but FIFA yep. won't allow that as yet. So it's got no to be chance. about the fan experience, hasn't it, Maura? Yeah, no, I think so. And, and Spider, you touched on it just there. There's nothing worse even for a player, um, and fans also included in this, an affair that is stop, start, stop, start. It really does spoil the, the, the product. Um, and for me, like, goal line technology I can understand. Um, and also maybe reviewing a, a tackle or an incident that may have led to the, the wrong card being given. But the rest, I would like to see the game just flow. And, and the other thing is, Spider, is that this VAR has not stopped the controversy. We're still talking about decisions, aren't we? It's, you know, it was supposed to be almost like a black and white, OK, once we've got VAR, we're going to get the right decisions. Now, I'm not disputing that maybe we get more of the right decisions, but we're still not getting that 100%. I think that's now the expectation if you bring in the technology. And it's not happened. No, but if, if you look at some of the incidents that happened before COVID, the game would go on for about two or three minutes and then it'd get brought back for a penalty. So it's a completely different game already. The match has changed. At least like this, the referee makes a decision. No, it's not a penalty. Play on, the game goes on. It's, it's not going back to the penalty. That's it, game. Yeah. And during the yeah. week, we have things to talk about. And that is the beauty about the game, to talk about the game, not talk about the VAR decisions. Let's talk about uh, another aspect of Friday night's game in particular. Cool conditions. It was very wet, uh, pretty chilly, to be honest, at Jubilee Stadium. I was there on Friday night. A portent potentially of things to come with the switch uh, to winter. Now, I thought that actually helped the tempo of the game. In contrast to playing in 35, 40 degree heat, the pitch was good as well. The players can slide tackle without, you know, fearing grass burns or, or strains. I thought it helped. Do you agree, Maury, or not? Uh, defenders dream those conditions. Uh, nice, nice, nice slick surface, being able to time your slide tackles. But no, nah, look, I think when you have the, the, the cooler weather, obviously gives the players the ability to, to be able to get about the field um, in a more comfortable fashion. Um, the zip in terms of the, the, wet, the wet pitch, it, you know, means that the, the players have got to have better touches. They've got to see things quicker. I think that brings a, a technical component up. Um, Lafondre spoke after the game and, and, and how much he enjoyed the, the conditions. But Spides, these are, these are not new for us. These are things we experienced, obviously, in our career in Europe. I thought it was fantastic. I thought both teams tried to play, moved the ball very quickly in tight areas. It was a very mid-third game. Uh, obviously, both coaches knowing each other, how both teams play. Uh, I just clearly clearly think this is the direction that we need to go. All these complaints about mm. fields not being good and weather. The tempo was excellent. Uh, perfect for football. Now, the downside to it, poor TV ratings. <clears throat> I don't know whether we... You know, fully accept that they are accurate, but uh, the, the figure that was put out by Fox Sports for that Friday game was 12,000. Now, whether that's yeah. you know, ac fully accurate or not, because obviously there's a lot of people who watch via the streaming app and in different ways, but mm -hmm. clearly uh, the ratings are not good. Um, is that going to be a, a factor, even more of a factor in winter when we're up against AFL and rugby league? No, I, I don't even think the marketing was there. Let, let's be honest, we're football mad, so we actually follow it and we're looking when the yeah. next game's on, but the marketing wasn't there. If you didn't really mm. know that the A-League was restarting, did you know there was a game on? No. Yeah, yeah. And, and initially, like I said, I mean, you've got um, the, 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 the televised uh, car start, starts bang on kickoff time, Simon. 
Um, you know, so normally we would have obviously that the, the, the lead in, whereas the three games that I've watched over the last few days, it's, it's been the same introduction, uh, like deja vu a little bit. But I think most importantly, we need to focus on the, the product. And yeah. I believe that, that this will provide a, a better product that the fans will enjoy more and it, it'll grow. We might be experiencing figures that maybe uh, we're not happy with today, uh, but it's a long-term vision of this switch, Simon. Just want to pick up on that, uh, Maury, in terms of uh, the fact that the Fox have, have not done pre-game shows. doesn't look like they yeah. have much interest in doing that uh, at the moment. Some yeah. of the clubs are starting to do their own. I, I did one on Friday night along with Luke Wilkshire for Sydney FC. Went out on their uh, club Facebook page. The Central Coast Mariners did the same thing uh, on the Saturday for their match against Perth. And I think one or two other clubs have got mm. the same idea. Now, this is the way forward, isn't it, for clubs? Mm. We, we essentially, if the broadcaster's not going to do it for us, and the mainstream is you know, clearly not going to cover it in any great depth at the moment, that seems pretty clear, we have yeah. to do it ourselves. Yeah, and look, Simon, as you mentioned, you, you were involved uh, with Sydney FC. Um, and, and I, you know, it is the future. And, and whether or not that goes on to, again, a centralised platform like a, a My Football app, but, you know, that, that's also a possibility. But I think, you know, having fans to be able to access uh, information, uh, which was, I, I guess, more purely on their own team. Simon, you'll be able to tell us more in terms of how the, the preview went with Sydney FC. We, we did a bit on both on both teams. We, we talked a fair bit about uh, Wellington Phoenix. And, and to be honest, on Tuesday night, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll do the same thing um, for the game against the Newcastle Jets. And, and we'll talk a bit about Newcastle. I think there's maybe some uh, possibility that Newcastle might run that pre-game show on their Facebook page as well. But I, I agree with you. I think you know, the home for it for all of these pre-game shows really is on the My Football app. Uh, we've got to start sort of maybe migrating the audience over to get used to getting their news, their information, their features, their pregame shows, uh, you know, via football's own platforms. And I, I think that'd be fantastic. Uh, can we make that happen quickly? I don't see why not. Mm. I think the bottom line is, you know, we, we, we have to do it ourselves, don't we? We, we can't allow uh, uh, the broadcaster or the, or the mainstream media basically yeah. to dictate the game's uh, visibility to the public and we have to educate the football public that, that there are um, uh, things that are out there for, that, that can t have football content that they can watch and engage with. No, very much so. I think, like I said, at the moment we see that clearly uh, um, there, there is the, sh the shift and we need to take control uh, during that shift, Simon, and we need to be pushing and promoting the game as best as we possibly can and I'm sure that every club will uh, will get on board with this preview kind of scenario and then if we can be a little bit uh, slicker in terms of you know being able to provide this one platform for the whole of football in this country we're going to be in a far better situation and have some fantastic content that we can pull out and watch at any stage of the day any day of the year as i said uh, on twitter the other day football content by football people for football people uh, let, let's talk a bit about uh, some of the on-field action. We'll, we'll talk later on in the show with Steve Corica about Sydney FC and how close they are to uh, the Premiership, of course. But uh, uh, Perth defeated the Mariners by the only goal. The Mariners now, uh, Spider, have lost 11 games in a row, conceded 31 goals in that little period. They're now set for a fourth wooden spoon and their third in a row. Now, the club participation agreements, as I understand it, do have sort of provision to relegate, in inverted commas, a club if that happens. Obviously, there's nowhere to relegate them to at the moment. I think it's probably more along the lines of 
you know, the withdrawal of a license. I don't think that will happen, obviously, in, in, in the A-League's current state. But really, there needs to be some punishment for failure, doesn't there? Well, this is the, the second division that we all keep talking about. Uh, but Central Coast, there was three games. So there was the Sydney-Wellington game. I thought it was a very good game. Then there was Perth-Central Coast. Might as well got two pins and poked them in, in my eyes because that's how bad the game was. <laughs> but not, not on Perth's behalf because Perth actually played a game to actually win the match. Central Coast were non-existent. For, for a team to actually have nothing to play for but pride, they come out like, when's this season going to finish? And last night's match, uh, Brisbane and Adelaide, was quite an entertaining game. It could have went either way. So, you know, Maury just spoke about the product. The key is the product. And I'm really disappointed what Central Coast actually delivered, especially with playoffs still in place, the games they've got left. They've got to play a part in who's going to finish in the top six, who's going to finish second, third or fourth. They've got a hand to play in this. And with a performance like that was quite embarrassing. Now, a second division will actually maybe put more pressure on the uh, relegation, when, when they can come to fold, in which direction. But really, Central Coast Mariners need to get their act together. Laurie? Yeah, no, nah, look, I, you've actually educated me, Simon, in terms of I didn't realise that there was such a clause in the, in the CPA. Um, look, obviously, uh, it's not going to happen, but uh, this is, again, the, the future that we're talking about, uh, it needs to happen. Um, so this, this is what we've got to get to, a system and a structure that, that kind of doesn't uh, reward a team that continuously is finishing down the down the bottom uh, three three out of four seasons because that, again that's not that's not good for anybody. Uh, the other thing I would say um, about the Mariners with virtually this for the remainder of this season being a lost cause from Spides, I would have loved to have seen some of the you know potential young players. I think this is an opportunity for a club that is not going to be in the shakeup of the finals. I think it's your duty to find out what players are able to step up and actually be in the fold for next season? What a great opportunity now is. Yeah, well, that, that would have been fantastic to see as well. But it, even the players, Maury, that were playing, don't they have contracts mm-hmm. to play for? Don't they have the want to actually show to someone else that another club will take them? So, mm-hmm. I well, mean... Well, some, Tommy Orr, Tommy Orr has a contract with MacArthur. That's right. But on that performance, oh, my God, you... Yeah, but it's not. It just comes down to one player, you know. We, I don't want to like pinpoint individual players, but they just look like a flat team who who was saying, "Oh, can this season finish?" They put no pressure on Perth at all. Yeah, Perth just kept the ball. It was like they were playing against mannequins. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, talk about uh, the Brisbane-Adelaide game briefly. Um, Brisbane, of course, sprung a bit of a surprise during the week, uh, appointing Warren Moon. As head coach, uh, instead of Darren Davis, uh, he got off to a losing start. Uh, I want to ask you, Spider, as a, as a former goalkeeper, and incidentally, good to see Danny Kim getting a, a debut for Brisbane Raw. I don't know if you know this, but his father, Kim Pan Kun, played at the 1994 World Cup for South Korea and finished his career with Marconi Stallions in the old NSL. So he obviously stayed on in Australia, so that's a nice little story. Um, yeah. But in terms of the actual game, Spider, Paul Izzo, a standout performance. Is he long-term a Socceroos successor maybe to uh, the likes of Matty Ryan? Look, I think uh, he was fantastic in that match. And especially, I think he had a massive accident just before the restart of the season as well. So to see him actually bounce back out of that and see him healthy and perform like that is another fantastic thing. But I've always had a high opinion of his. And the, the beauty is he's always made decisions to go to places to play. 
So he, you know, he went, he was understudy to Galekovic at Adelaide. He didn't play. He went to Central Coast as a young kid to play matches, to develop, and then had the opportunity to go back to Adelaide and be their number one keeper. So the more games he plays, the better he's getting, and he's developing into a serious goalkeeper in the A-League. Okay. Mm. Let's uh, talk about one of the big issues in football, uh, one that resonates with an awful lot of people. Uh, we got this tweet from Devek Naidu. Uh, he said, I, will love a I would love a focus on the work done by the National Second Division Working Group to date. There is no transparency for fans as to where we are at. Clearly, the issue is money but surely we can get some insight. For example, is it to be a fully national competition or a conference model to save costs, semi-pro or fully pro, et cetera? And what is the criteria? Thank you for that tweet, Derek. You win our very first $100 meal voucher thanks to Outback Steakhouse, the home of juicy steaks, spirited drinks, and fun family dining. It's our question of uh, the week. Now, this obviously leads into principle four, that James Johnson revealed on his 11 principles. Just going to read this out to you. The, the overall principle, principle four is this, to create a dynamic and engaging football product by optimising com competition structures to connect Australian football, to promote competitive balance and tension, uncertainty of outcome, incentivise sporting achievement and prioritise the fan experience. In the detail, it says we will consider the development of a second tier competition. Now, I know for a fact that the FFA are meeting today, which is Monday when we're recording this podcast, with the AAFC, uh, the, the, the group that represents all the National Premier League clubs uh, around the country. And uh, the AAFC basically want and are asking for clarity around that fourth principle because they haven't, similar with the whole of football uh, a document that went out five years ago, Maury, they haven't fully committed to this national second division, despite the fact that we've had uh, this working group, this steering committee, uh, for the best part mm. of 18 months, I think, looking at how to implement it. Is it time for this to happen? And if so, how? Yeah, no, for sure. Look, uh, sorry, Spiders. For, for, for me, I would, I would change it. Consider the development of a second-tier competition. For me, it's definitely about um, how do we do it and how do we do it now? Uh, this is, this is uh, something that uh, the country is crying out for um, and we, we need to be coming up with a structure. We need to be speaking to potentially the, the clubs that um, would be interested in this national second division because we, we can't speak on their, on their behalf, Simon, because uh, as much as we believe it's the right way forward for our game, there might not be clubs that are willing to um, to go down that path, but Spides, I mean, Sydney United, for example, would be one of those clubs. There's a lot of clubs that want to be a part of a national second division. And we need to have that um, that second division just for that, um, that ability for clubs to be able to de develop players, to move them on, to potentially get promoted, to, to really sort of like add that final bit to what we're missing in football. And that's that... Um, you know, that, that ability for the real stories at football clubs to, to, to chase their dream um, and, and to, to hit the big time, give them that opportunity. A connected ecosystem, in other words. Ha has to be. Mate, I'm, I'm really, passionate, <clears throat> yeah. really passionate about the second division. I, I think this is one of the major criteria that has to happen now. Uh, 
for, for example, I'll give you an example more. At the moment, we've got about 240 professional footballers. If we create a second division, which you can, if you go back and have a look through the heritage clubs, just in the New South Wales State League alone, you have Blackdown City, Sydney United, Marconi, Sydney Olympic, Wollongong Wolves. Just off the top of my hand, uh, if I've missed anyone, I'm sorry. Can, I suppose the key question, Spider, is can they afford to be in a national second division? We know how big the country is. We know that football is not the, you know, the, the, the first sport in, in this nation. So there's not a lot of money, even for the A-League, let alone a second division. So is, is there a model that suits a national second division? The AFC, incidentally, say they've got a, a model ready to go. 100%. So if, if we had a criteria... And whoever is, again, it'd have to come from the FFA. There's a criteria. Who wants to be a part of the second division? Put your hand up. You've got to have your own ground. You've got to have the facilities. You've got to have the backing. These clubs will want to be the most professional they can be. And if that's four from New South Wales, four from Victoria. Victoria, you've got South Melbourne, Heidelberg, Melbourne Knights, Sunshine George Cross. You have big clubs around. In Adelaide, you have Adelaide City. You have a giant in Adelaide City that... These clubs have survived without any help from FFA. They've survived on their own backbone since the A-League started 16 years ago. If you give these clubs some light at the end of the tunnel, they will grow. They will grow. And it can be a national competition. Maury, you would know better than me. Up in, up in Queensland, you have Brisbane Lions, definitely viable. Brisbane City, Stri Brisbane Strikers, Strikers, Gold Coast Knights. You have Peninsula clubs. Power. You, you have to actually put, say, put your hand up. Who wants to be a part of the second division? criteria, pick the best 10 clubs. All of a sudden, you don't have 230 or 240 professional players. You have now 500. So you have a bigger pool. And these clubs in the second tier, they can actually produce players to go up to the A-League and get a transfer for them. For example, Sydney United this year lost three players to the A-League. Wouldn't it be nice if we got 50,000 or 40,000 for each of these players that went up, that went back to our club that we could actually develop? Again, younger players to go up to the A-League. But just to play devil's advocate for a moment, Spider... The A-League clubs are struggling. To, they haven't got two buttons to rub together either. So how do they yeah. afford that? How does the, the football ecosystem... We all, we all want it, 100%. But how does the football ecosystem pay for it? Well, at the moment, the State League clubs are paying out of their own pockets. So they're surviving with three, four, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 budgets. You're telling me that we can't parachute down from the A-League that is spending 3.3 on a salary cap down to the second tier to develop these young players. Mate, we've got to be kidding ourselves if we can't do something like that. Of course we can do it. But we actually got to, we need guidance and we need leadership to do it. I'm actually yeah, sick and, and tired of the clubs not getting anything back, Maury. Mate, even the A-League clubs, what are they getting back besides the television deal? That's it. The clubs underneath, they're getting nothing. How about we start feeding those clubs and actually make it everything a part of football? Maury, final point to you. Yeah, well, look, yeah. Thanks, Spider, for eventually letting me have a, have a word, mate. Uh, <laughs> no, look, I, 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 I think that now is the time to, to really uh, be able to, to restructure. We know that there's a huge desire for football to be connected. Uh, it's great to see that, that AA, um, FC are, are having conversations with the FFA today. We need to find solutions. We need to make it happen because it'll, it'll give the, the game a wonderful platform to really be able to drive forward. Okay. Final word on this from me. I think, you know, we're calling for our game to be united in these difficult times. Everybody's saying we have to be united, but how do you have unity without unification? 
that's that's the key to it all. You have to unify the whole, whole game, and then perhaps we will talk as one. Anyway, let's see what the outcome of those uh, talks are between the FFA and uh, the AAFC, uh, and maybe we'll get to a point in the near future where you know we we, we call for expressions of interest and let's get this thing moving because I think we need it. Uh, let's talk about the next huge topic, which uh, appeared. Uh, a little bit out of the blue on Sunday, although perhaps not 100% surprising. Ante Milicic left the Matildas job. He's going to uh, continue on with MacArthur FC, the new A-League expansion outfit, of course. Um, the big question is now who takes over from him? A um, couple of tweets uh, from our tweet sites. Tweet site? Twitter site? I don't know. <laughs> Deary, I'm just new to it. Yeah, <laughs> clearly I am as well. Dave says, I would be shocked if Heather Garriock didn't get the nod. Uh, Ivan Stragan says, my tip would be Ray Dower, Michael Carboni. I would prefer Ange Postacoglu. <laughs> Imagine the Matildas honing his style for three years. The Olympics, the Asian Cup, then a Women's World Cup at home. Very true. Three big tournaments. Uh, some of the names that have been banded about, Joe Montemuro, of course, who's currently with Arsenal in the Women's Premier League in England. Uh, Ray Dower, mm-hmm. we've mentioned Mel Andriata, Tanya Oxtoby, perhaps Jill Ellis is also mm-hmm. a name that's been mentioned. What's your thoughts on this? Uh, Maury, off you go. Uh, look, there's obviously going to be no shortage of, of names that come across for, for this job. This is a, an enormous, enormous job and a great opportunity for whoever gets it. Um, but I want to I discuss my concerns uh, in terms of process, in terms of potentially um, what will happen. There's a situation there now where we, we've lost over the last 12 to 18 months. Luke Cassily, mm-hmm. who was head of the national teams. Rob Sherman, who was technical director. Now, these two roles that have not been filled would normally be the two people with a technical element That's correct. That, would drive, that would drive a recruitment process. They're, they're out of the building. They've not been replaced. So my concern um, would be that, um, and it would be fraught with danger, that this process is being driven by a board or a group of players. This, for me, um, is fraught with with danger. So I'm really interested, Simon, as to what the process will be. So you're calling, Maury, basically for transparency around the process, what the criteria is, and crucially, who is making the decision? I mean, I assume that James Johnson will be a part of that as the FFA CEO, but who else? That's what you're saying. Yeah, and, and also... Like I said, Spide, you'll know this. So when we, we use them a lot in this country, and I don't know why we use them so often, but um, consultants. So then when you go to a consultancy uh, company, they will then narrow down a short list that will then be presented to the, the FFA, for example. They've also got clients that they're recommending. Mm-hmm. So back to, that, back to that transparency one. We, I would like to know what the process is, Simon, because what we have at the moment what we don't have, should I say, within our organisation, the governing body, and governance being a huge issue, I see, um, I, I just see a big hole and I would love to know what the process is. And Maury, you're spot on because let, let's look at it. Uh, so when, when Stadge lost his job with the Matildas, uh, Artem Milicic only filled the gap because he was working for the FFA. So it was like, uh, okay, we're paying his wages, so Artem, you do the job. So now Artem's left and you know what, Ante's made a decision. It would have been a very difficult decision for him as well because it was a fantastic opportunity. But he had to make a decision as a coach, do I want to go down the path 
in women's football or do I want yep. to be a head coach in men? And he's been a part yep. of Melbourne Heart as a stand-up, uh, as a start, starting start club. club yeah. Yeah. Start-up club. But he was an assistant. <laughs> he was at Western Sydney Wanderers as an assistant as a start-up club. Now he has the opportunity to be a head coach at MacArthur mm. as a head coach. Mm. And that's a fantastic opportunity for any manager. So mm. even, even when Tezza got the job with the Matildas, it wasn't really... It was a, a gap filler. This is a big, yeah. big decision. And yeah. who makes a decision is, is a real great call, yeah. Maury. And the final thing that I'd like to, uh, just to finish off on that, is a lot of our girls are going to Europe, as we know. And it's, it's fantastic. They're going to, to the, the top clubs and the, and the top leagues. So our, our marketing and our branding opportunity that we would normally have had uh, uh, are overseas. So the next coach... First and foremost, needs to be a good coach. But I tell you what, they've got a big job because they need to continue the building of the brand and they need to be able to present well um, because they've got a huge role in driving the, the Matildas program, but also connecting with the, the, the football uh, community here in Australia. So who is that person, Maury, in your opinion? Oh, mate, it's a, it's a really, really tough call. I mean, you've... You, you've Throwing the names at us um, that we've seen, I've seen in a few articles. Look, Joe Montemuro is a, is a fantastic candidate, but whether or not there'll be compensation attached to that, uh, at a guess, because he's contracted. So finances will, will, will play a role, Simon. I will throw in a smoky. Um, and, and, and the smoky. You're putting your hand up, Maury. Are you putting your hand up? Mate, you know, I laugh when people say, Maury, Maury, you're going to take that job. I go, mate, I haven't got my qualifications, never have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, mate, someone, someone like a John Aloisi. Now, people will say, Maury, you're talking rubbish. What does he know about women's football? Um, Ante Milicic knew nothing about women's football. Phil Neville, the English national uh, women's coach, had no background in women's football. He is somebody that presents well. Um, I'm sure that he is somebody that the community would get behind. And um, he's a student of the game. But there's, there's a lot of good names on him. There's going to be a lot of great candidates for this role. And whoever, whoever gets it, what a, what a, what a fantastic um, opportunity for them with such um, you know, big next two, three years, you know, Asian, Asian Cup, Olympics, and the mm. World Cup here in Australia. I mean, it's an amazing opportunity. A lot, of, a lot of the look. I, I initially put a, a thing out on Twitter on on Sunday saying, surely it has to be Joe Montemuro because mm-hmm. I, I think in terms of you know on field achievement, all right, it's at club level. Uh, he's he's probably the standout candidate of the Australians that, that have been mentioned. Yep. Uh, a lot of people have said to me, yeah, but he's you know he's got no experience in international football. Spider people are saying Jill Ellis, if she's interested, and we we don't know if this is the case. Of course, she's had fantastic success uh, with the American. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. American national team. If she would, mm-hmm. uh, if she would be interested in the role, is is she a, a, an outstanding candidate? Look, whoever it is, whoever it is for me has to say, this is now 
a national team gig. So Joe Montemuro, who is at Arsenal, he might be loving it that he's on the field every day. The national yeah. team gig is really only a part-time gig. And I don't mean that in any disrespect because it is a part-time coaching job. Where they are in their coaching stage will be someone who takes a job. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't know who it is. I really don't know who it is. Johnny Aloisi, does he want to go down the path of being a women's coach? I, I don't know that either. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's a, tri- it's a tricky one. Well, I'm sure the FFA have their own ideas, but uh, I'm with you, Maury. I think uh, transparency around uh, the process and, and what criteria they're making the selection on, uh, certainly uh, uh, it would be very interesting to hear. All right, let's uh, move on from hard talk and go into overseas football. London calling to the faraway towns Now war is declared and battle come down London calling Yes, let's uh, head over to the UK for our first stop overseas. And uh, first of all, guys, Leeds United. Back in the top flight, 16 years since they were last in the Premier League. Marcello Bielsa back in the top flight. How will he go? What a manager. Yeah. Oh, what a manager. I'm so, you know what? I didn't know there were so many lead supporters out here. (laughs) I was at the Outback Steakhouse the other day, and one of the guys that worked. Good plug, good plug, Spider. Well, I was there. (laughs) The president was feeding me once again. And one of the people that works there. I didn't had no idea. Maury, lead supporter. I said, "Oh, mate, you've all come out of the woodwork now. You must be going back to the Premier League." But what what a yeah. big club to see them come back, and you know they actually spent good money to get Bielsa there, and it's been rewarded mm. now. Yeah, and look, I mean, you, you touch on the, the the boy in the Outback Steakhouse spies. I mean, Leeds United. I've seen another a, good plug, uh, Maury. Very good. My, it's good. Uh, is that goes up like fifty bucks every time we plug it? <laughs> <laughs> But there's been so many Australian players that have obviously gone and, and played and, and done well at Leeds United. So that's probably why you do have the, the, the following here. But Bielsa's done a done a wonderful job. Uh, and, and what a look, what a great story it really is. I mean, we, we've gone from obviously Spygate, um, the, that, that was this season. Um, you know, he's somebody that stays in a, in a, a flat above a, a shop. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it looks like a training. council flight in Podsey. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Spides, Spides, he walks to training, 45 minutes, puts his backpack on, away he goes. Um, they have staff meetings at, the, at one of the, the Costa Coffees in the, in the local village. He just really seems to be somebody that, that gets it, that's really connected with his community. And wow, that's an amazing job. 16 years and Leeds United back in the top flight. Well done. I think he's, uh, there's almost something a little bit Jurgen Klopp about him. Obviously, his English skills are not quite on the same level, but you can sense that he's become a part of that Leeds football family very quickly. And uh, I mean, really, a man of his ability shouldn't be coaching in the championship. So anyway, as of next year, he is not. Um, what a week for Arsenal, uh, beating both Liverpool and Manchester City. Has Mikel Arteta rediscovered their mojo, their spine, Spider? Unbelievable. Uh... I, I, I couldn't believe the results. I'm really happy for Not him. Not a good eye, by the way. No, I, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. They, they are playing well. Yeah. Besides the mistakes, they make a few mistakes and, you know, they've copped a few goals. But in the big matches, they've actually played really, really well and performed well. And to think that they, they knocked the two biggest teams over in a, in a week, what a fantastic week for Arsenal supporters. Maury, I think as a defender, I don't know if you saw the, the semi-final between Arsenal and Man City, but Arteta's tactics... 
defensively were superb. He sort of, uh, he played a back five and, and allowed City to have the ball out wide and said, look, you can have it there. Sling some crosses in. Let's see how you, yeah. let's see how we deal with it because City don't have, you know, an Ed and Dzeko anymore or a big target man. Yeah. So they just, you know, they swatted them away. Mustafi uh, and his uh, central defensive partner, whose, whose name escapes me at the moment. Come on, help me out here. David Louise. Thank you. Thank you. Um, he's obviously had a lot of, you know, stick this season, but he was immense yeah. against City. Um, and I, I guess if anybody was going to be able to uh, uh, devise a plan to beat a team with the ability of, of Pep Guardiola's, it was going to be his former assistant, Arteta. And that's yeah, what look, they're missing, Arteta, isn't it? Yeah, not very much so. Arteta is, look, I, I played with Arteta at Rangers. He's a, he's a, wonderful, he's a wonderful person. Uh, he was a fantastic footballer. He's had, a, he's had an unbelievable education. Uh, with Pep Guardiola and he's come into Arsenal and, and I think that he's, he's shown a, a real maturity um, uh, 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 for a young, young manager coming into such a big club um, and he's really steadied the, the ship there. He's he, someone that communicates extremely well with his players. I mean, we, we touched on David Luiz. He's certainly not the, the easiest character by all accounts to, to handle and, um, you know, he's, he's been able to, to manage that He's made them a lot harder to um, to score against, so he's improved them defensively, and we and we know what options you know Aubameyang and and the likes going forward that you know they have the the players that can hurt you, but Arsenal have a, a fantastic manager in the making, and I'm sure he'll enjoy some very very good times, and they'll be looking forward to their cup final uh, against Chelsea, who got a fantastic result uh, against Manchester United, De Gea. Spider, oh. oh my god! Oh my god! I was waiting to see Roy Keane somewhere slaughtering him again. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, he's had a free for all on him, hasn't he? And you know what? If you look at it, Keane's been right. He's actually been right because the hairs. I don't know what's going on through his head. He's obviously had some sort of transfer. He wants to go back to Spain or wants to go to Real Madrid. Where he wants to go, I don't know. But his head just doesn't seem to be there. Mm. Two yeah, pretty yeah. rudimentary errors in the semi-final. Just on Mikel Arteta, Maury, when you played with him at Rangers, did you always see uh, that potential in him to be a head coach, a manager at, at the elite level? Look, I guess at that stage, you're not, you're not really seeing that, Simon. And the reason being, look, uh, Arteta come and his English at that time was, was not fantastic. So he was, he was a quiet character within the dressing room. But he always, it wasn't quiet because he, he was a shy person. Um, you know, he had, that, he had that kind of arrogance that good players have. Mm. Uh, and you put him in that environment. I mean, he's speaking three or four different languages to his players throughout the game. Um, he, he's, he's had a fantastic education. And he's, he's, a, he's a good man. Uh, and I think when, when you have all those qualities... Um, you know, then you'll get a playing group that will back you. And he's starting to see the benefit of that. And I actually think that there's, there's better things to, to come from Arsenal. Uh, if they can finish off with a, with a cup final victory, that would be amazing. But he'll look to, to strengthen again next season. And I expect to see a better Arsenal team that are challenging the top end. Maury, serious question. Did Arteta ever finish at the fish and chip shop at 4am in the morning in Glasgow with you? Oh, mate, he was at some tapas bar or something. Like <laughs> <laughs> Whilst you were on the grease. <laughs> Love it. Uh, one question on uh, those FA Cup semi-finals. Obviously, we've got the five substitutes rule at the moment. 
Um, mm. We're having timeouts. Now, the official uh, reason for that is because of the coronavirus and, you know, they want players to refuel from separate bottles, which I sort of understand. But are we going a bit down the road of the NBA here? You know, VAR, five substitutes, almost rolling subs and timeouts. What next? Are we going to have the, you know, the... Uh, the seventh inning stretch or something like that? I don't mind the five substitute rule just simply because yep. probably their preparation wasn't like a proper preparation. So, look, players uh, are getting as many minutes as they can in and I think the, the quality of the match stays high. The drinking yep. rule, the timeout, I, I don't know about that. I'm not, not a massive fan about that. But look, at this moment in time as well, I think with everything that is happening, I would rather see... Um, you know, being overcautious and than, than having any any issues. But you're right, Simon. Like in terms of you know moving forward, I'm sure things will will even themselves out. Five subs, we we, we may continue to to see. But I I've actually found that that's been um, not an issue for me. Mm. Um, you know, I think it gives the opportunity for again the ability of the product to, to to change and be more exciting, and and also the opportunity for younger players to get important game time as well. Yeah, true. Okay, let's uh, finish off this segment. Just a, a little chat about what's happening in Asia. Uh, there's going to be a rejig of the AFC Champions League for this year. At least they're going to play in central hubs. Qatar is going to be the central hub for West Asia. They're going to resume uh, the group stages in September. In East Asia, the venue is undecided. They have an October restart. Uh, members yep. have until this Thursday, the 24th of July, to express an interest. Um, I, I have spoken to the authorities here. Um, Australia are not going to bid for that, which I guess is understandable given the border restrictions um just as an extension of that uh, we're at the outset of a new deal between the afc and a, a company called ddmc fortis who uh, are going to mm-hmm. be their marketing company they've actually rebranded these last couple of weeks into a company called football marketing asia uh, there's going to yep. be more money much more money invested in the champions league and of course with the new fifa club world cup uh, supposedly coming up. This is what Gianni Infantino wants. Uh, could be worth millions and millions of dollars. How much of a game changer could all this be for our clubs here? We don't talk a lot about this stuff because we're still culturally disconnected from Asia. But this stuff is real game changers, isn't it? You know, if, if you're going to, if they're going to up the prize money for the Asian Champions League, and then you've got mm-hmm. potentially earning 20, 30 million from playing in a FIFA Club World Cup for winning the Champions League, I mean, that yep. was a completely different complexion on our A-League here in that battle for the Champions League spots. Enormous, enormous. Four billion US yeah. over, over eight years um, that will support the Champions League, the Asian Cup, uh, the final stage of World Cup qualifiers, Simon. Yep. Um, so, so, look, it, it gives a, a wonderful opportunity for clubs participating in these competitions to be incentivized and reward, rewarded, uh, which is very important because my previous previous experience in the Asian Champions League cost um, Brisbane Royal money. So if you're now, I think yeah. that's been do the we, missing, Do we dare mention Santos Negros, uh, Maury? <laughs> oh, you can, mate. You can mention. You can mention it, mate. I've got. Well, if I've got thick skin, mate, you don't survive otherwise. <laughs> do, do, do you have all that um, tape still? <laughs> oh, mate. Oh, you know what? I'm still trying to have a look at see if, uh, where that was in my job description. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, like the, the, the one missing component from the Asian Champions League for, for a long time, I believe, is, has been the, the money, the money mm. for the clubs. Uh, and, and this goes a long way. This is, for me, a big tick for, for me in terms of the... the Huge investment into the game in Asia. Big problem for our salary cap then, ain't it? 
because if we're going to go to a salary cap, we're not going to be able to compete with the Asian clubs. So our salary cap's going to have to sort of change there as well for us to be able to compete to win the Champions League. I, I still think it is incredible how Western Sydney Wanderers won the Champions League. It is. Mate, I, I still can't uh, get it out of my mind how they won it uh, with the way the A-League was at the time, with our salary cap, with the clubs that they were competing against. It was a miracle. Here's a thought, boys. Just a curveball question. And I've thought this for some time. We all know that the UEFA Champions League works because you've got massive clubs with the world's top players, right? If the Asian Champions League was to revert back to a straight knockout, a home and away, because it costs clubs money at the moment. And even with the investment, it's still, you know, it's time consuming. And if you lose the first two or three games, you're effectively playing dead robbers against clubs that, let's be honest, don't have the same resonance as a Real Madrid or a Barcelona or a Bayern Munich Mm -hmm. or a Man United. Mm -hmm. If you went back to a straight knockout and opened it up Asia-wide, would that not give some of the pizzazz that this competition is missing? Because... You know, then you've got a game that really means something that your home leg, and if you're out, well, obviously home and away, but your one home game means a lot to your supporters. You know, if you lose, you're out, you can forget about it, get on with your domestic campaign, and not have to worry about playing dead robbers. And, you know, all all that new investment can then go to those clubs to pay for their travel. I just think Mm -hmm. that's possibly a better way forward for the Asian Champions League in its current guise. Great idea. Because we don't have those, you know, world-class names in in our region. Thoughts? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I I think it's a good thought. Not not normally you come up with good thoughts, Simon. That's not bad. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) (laughs) But again, it's it's the product, isn't it? It's it's making something exciting that people want to participate in. And over the years... The, the Asian champion Champions League has lacked that. Um, you know, we've not really seen the the, the big crowds in the group stages and, and kind of then normally when it gets to the, the final part of the, the tournament, we're not really hear, hearing too much about it because our Australian teams, apart from Wanderers, mm. have not really been at the point end of the competition. So if we can find a way um, like, you know, what you, what you suggested there, it, again, it, it creates a, a lot more excitement, uh, which will certainly be good for the tournament. Certainly need to tell the stories of uh, the clubs and the players in the region a lot better as well. So hopefully that will come with this new partnership between the AFC and Football Marketing Asia. All right, so we're going to uh, head back home. And in a moment or two, we're going to welcome our special guests today in Footballers Lives. Featuring today on Footballers Lives, it's a delight to welcome the Sydney FC head coach Steve Corica to our podcast. How are you, Steve? Good to see you, mate. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very well, Simon. Thank you very much. You, you should be well because you're you're one point away from the Premiership to to go with last year's Championship. You've you've had a fair old wait for it, but it's nearly here. Yeah, well, it has been four months. Uh, it was nice to get the first game out of the way, obviously, with three points against Wellington because um, they're, they're a very good team. And, um, you know, it was nice to get a get off to a winning start. Uh, and, you know, four days later, we're playing Newcastle tomorrow. So we hope to wrap it up tomorrow to get the Premier's plate. Is it, is it difficult uh, to play teams coached by Ufuk Tale? Because obviously, you know, the, he knows you so well. He knows Sydney FC so well. I think it was Luke Wilkshire I was with on Friday night said, look, look at the training cones pre-game. They even set up in exactly the same way. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's pretty identical. But, um, 
you know, it's the same. We know the way they play. They know the way we play and set up. So, um, you know, we've known each other for a long time now, me and Uffie. And, um, yeah, it was, it's, it's, they've been all th- the three games we've played them have been uh, entertaining. There's been a fair bit of goals in it. Uh, some good football as well, which is the main thing. Just one more from me, Stephen, and I'll let the boys take over because I know they've got questions. Um, Graham Arnold used to say the premiership was more important than a grand final win. Do you agree with that or not? Um, well, it's nice to, to win both, I think. But uh, the Premiership, I think they're the most consistent team over, over the season. So I think, um, you know, it's my first uh, Premiership as head coach as well, which, uh, which will be nice. Um, but the Grand Finals are obviously very special in Australian football. So they're nice to, nice to win as well. It's a special occasion. But, um, you know, full credit, once we get the job done uh, tomorrow, uh, the boys deserve it. Yeah, Bimbi, the game against uh, Wellington was actually quite enjoyable to watch. And even though, like we spoke about, both of you knew how you were going to play, I thought it was a real tactical and cagey affair. Uh, The way both teams in the mid-third kept the ball and gave nothing away. But as soon as the game opened up, you just looked like you are going to hurt them on every attack. It was was, uh, really... I I thought it was a really good match to watch as a coach Mm. to analyse. But how did the players pull up after the match? Like considering it was a wet surface, it was it was quick, it was very dynamic. The match. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Spud, with the the tactical side of things. It was always going to be quite cagey in the first first half. You know, everyone's it's their first game back. Um, you know, we're not at our peak condition at the moment, fitness wise. So you know, we we sat a little bit deeper and tried to hit them on the counter attack. But I think you know, both sides played good football, build up and into that middle third. You know, I think we lacked a little bit of penetration in the first half, and I think that's where we obviously got it in the second half. With the once the game opened up, we we obviously had the pace to, to get in behind them, so which was great, and, and to get the goals as well. So um, yeah, but everyone else was, uh, from that game, everyone's pulled up really well, and um, everyone's fit to to back up again if need be on tomorrow night. Maury and um, Bimba, yeah, look, you must be extremely pleased um, with the the. The way that your squad has just continued to to transition. I mean, there's a huge loss over the last year with Bobo and Brosk and Mijierski, but your recruitment uh, with Lafondre and and Barbarusis, and plus uh, you've got some exciting young players coming through your ranks as, as well. So you must be really pleased. It's, it's almost as if you haven't missed a beat at all. Yeah, obviously, my especially my first year taking over, we lost, uh, like you said, Bobo and Adrian were two big. Uh, key players really the season before they scored 40 odd goals between them so we thought it was going to be very difficult to, re- to replace them but I think we, we did really well recruiting and uh, especially Lafondra like you said Barbarousas I think McGowan has been excellent since coming in as well at the back uh, defensively um, so yeah I'm pleased with uh, obviously the changes that we've made and with Bratton as well in midfield I think we're playing some very good football with him he starts a lot of the playoff for us which is which is great so um, yeah, we want to just keep improving and, you know, they've got a real desire to keep winning, which is the main thing and that motivation to keep winning. And, and we've sort of pride ourselves on that. You know, we have a great culture. We believe that. And, um, you know, we just want to win trophies. Steve, it, in general terms, we're, we're going to talk about your playing career in a moment. But uh, the A-League, as we know, is at an interesting moment in its development. Let, let's put it that way. As a coach and somebody who's been involved in it pretty much since day dot, 
what needs to be done to reboot this competition and to you know attract um, not only bigger crowds but uh, greater interest again? Well, you know, I think uh, it goes comes down to entertaining football and, and good football. Um, you know, a lot of people want to watch um, big names. I'm not sure whether that's the right way to, to go about it because with that comes a, a big cost as well, um, which maybe we don't really have at the moment. They're talking about cutting costs, not uh, spending more money. So uh, it's difficult to obviously bring in players like that. But I think, you know, the foreigners, I think when you bring foreigners, you have to bring in good foreigners, whether they're big names or not. They have to uh, make the league better. And um, if, if they don't do that, well, then you, you might as well speak with the, with the Australian players because there's a lot of good young talent out there as well, which probably don't get because of the foreigners coming in. So... Um, it would be nice, obviously, to, to see a lot of these young boys coming through as well. In, in terms of the, the, the good football, I take your point on that, and I'm not disputing that that's a factor. Is that enough? I mean, we've had teams in the past, Sydney have been won, Brisbane Raw with you know, the benchmark under Ange Bossacoglu. They played terrific football for two or three years, but long-term hasn't really helped their crowds grow. Because obviously football yeah. ebbs and flows season to season. Coaches come, coaches go, players come, players go. How do we make that greater connection with supporters, which is so crucial uh, for the league to grow long term? Well, I think there, there's a lot of talk about going back to, to winter football, which is uh, highly likely at this stage. And maybe that's the way to go because uh, when, that's when the young players are, are playing their football. And, you know, they go from their football game maybe to our football game. Uh, summer, obviously, there's a lot of other attractions with the, with the temperature, the high, you know, obviously the beaches and such a nice city to live in and, and country that in summertime, maybe we don't get the crowds because of that. But maybe in winter, with uh, players playing their game, maybe they want to go and watch them, the A-League play. So maybe that's a, a chance to go back to the winter competition, which they are talking about. Bimbi, would you be would you be one for a second division? Do you think that would give players a lot more opportunity? Well, give a lot of the younger players opportunity, of course. I think um, you know, I think it takes time to get that right as well. Like like it took time for the A League to get going as well. So, but I think that's the you know they're talking about the NPL. Well, for us anyway, being a under twenty three competition now because which I think is great because, uh, you know, at 20 years old, there's a lot of players, you know, you're not finished at 20 years old. So at least you, you give them a chance to under 23s before they go anywhere. You know, if you look at, there's not many 17-year-olds around playing in the A-League. So they need time to develop and to, to get that opportunity to play in the A-League. Steve, let's uh, talk back uh, about your playing career a little bit. A boy from Innisfail. In, in far north Queensland. How did you end up in Sydney? And, and what are your, your memories of those early days, in particular winning the title with Marconi in 92, 93? Uh, yeah, I'm from Innisfail, north Queensland. So, obviously, I don't it just worked out nicely. I, I obviously represented Queensland and then, then Australia. But I think Ron Smith spotted me playing for Queensland, which then I went to the AIS, which was obviously a huge development for a lot of the players back then. So I was only 16 when I left home. Uh, spent one year at the AIS and then I obviously moved on to Marconi when I was 17. Spent uh, the five years there, obviously winning the, the grand final. Uh, I think it was 
oh geez, long time ago, 93 maybe, mm -hmm. which, which with a lot of great players there, also, you know, Ian Bray, JP was there, Andy Harper. So, you know, there was a, we had a very good team that year and it was great to win a grand final for Marconi. And Bimby, so your, your career, your, it ended up taking you uh, overseas. You were one of the unfortunate ones to, to play with Zilko Kalic at least. Uh, <laughs> hey, I lived with him as well, so how's my fault? Hey, Bimby, how good was it, buds? Come on, mate. Hey, that was the best time of our lives, fine. <laughs> Don't tell my wife that, though. Don't tell her to listen to the podcast, son. <laughs> yeah, I know. <no. laughs> Come on, Bimby. We want a spider story. Sorry. You've got to give us a spider story, Bimby. Come on. Oh, I just, uh, no, just the story of when he built his house in, in Leicester and I moved in there and he had the doors made bigger, higher, <laughs> so he could fit into the house. But you imagine me walking through them doors. <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant. Bimby, I'll tell you a story when I played with the big man at Kavala, our first away trip. We check into these, this lodge kind of situation. We walk into the room. You walk up a couple of stairs. There's a big double bed, right? And then I'm looking yeah. to see where my, my bed is. Mate, it's a, it's a slab of wood that's attached to the wall. Mate, I had to respect my elders. Big spider sprawled over this bed. Mate, I'm on this, this wooden slab, mate. One roll and I was on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Hey, Bimby, I said, to, I said, then when you come and jump in, son, for a kiss and cuddle that night." <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, he's, he's, uh, yeah, there's uh, plenty of stories on on big spies, but yeah, we had a good time at uh, Leicester. Like it was a good good season as well. I, I left just before the season ended because I moved on to Wolves, but obviously Leicester went on got promoted that year and, and went up to the Premiership. So. Yeah, but it was scary. Um, Spides was, Spides was supposed to come to Wolves with me as well, but he didn't get his work permit. Which, um, yeah. Mate, you 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 were actually frightening over there at Leicester. How good you were playing! Uh, you know, there's there's one time there's one time I remember we had uh, the qualifier against Uruguay. I I never forget this in my whole life. You were playing at Sam Fretcher at the time, and you yeah. were in unbelievable form. And I think yeah. we we uh, we won the first game one nil, and everyone just thought you were actually shooing to play. I couldn't believe how well you're playing, and, and you didn't play it. And I still reckon, yeah. had you played that game, we would have qualified for the World Cup four years earlier. Yeah, Can I remember that as well. Cool. I was, I was yeah. in very good form at the time, especially for San Freche. I was I was actually scoring a lot of goals that that season, and and really playing for the national team. I, I felt really confident, and um, you know, in training, I, I thought I was doing an ex excellent job. But um, yeah, you know, that's the way football goes. You know that, Spikes. Yeah, buds. I've got one serious question for you. So we got we got a new sponsor on the show, right? Now you played with the mighty Redbacks on a Friday night. Mate, yes. where did we where did we used to go for our after match drink and feed? The Outback. Hey, how good is how good <laughs> is that the sponsor? How good is how good is the state? He's the top man as well, the owner of that place. Hey, Mark Evans, it's looked Mark. after the mighty Redbacks. Well, before we exactly. turn this top man, Mark. Before we turn this and into an advertorial. And what a team that was as well, Spike. <laughs> <laughs> the mighty Redbacks, mate. You reckon the fair play rule got thrown out there? Seven ex-internationals <laughs> in the over 35. Coven, you, Popper, myself, Driller. It was frightening. Uh, before we turn this into an advertorial for Outback Steakhouse. Oh, there we go again. <laughs> um, 
Bimby, just to bring it back to uh, uh, your, your playing career, I want to ask you about missing out on the World Cup in 2006 because you were a part of that golden generation and yet you were one of the few of that generation to- who played top-level football who didn't make that squad in 2006. Was that a really difficult pill to swallow? Well, I, I well, I'm, I'm, I, I was injured at the time, Simon. I, I did my knee at uh, when I first moved to Wolves. Um, so I did my cruciate um, ligaments, and then obviously six months later, first game back, I did it again. So I had a period I was out for 15 months, uh, not playing at all. So that was obviously that's a tough time for any footballer to be out that long and. Yeah not to play, but also, also then I missed out on that opportunity to be involved in the, in the World Cup, um, all the qualifiers. And um, yeah, it does, it takes its toll on you, but um, you know, I, I moved on from that. And, you know, unfortunately after that, I, I really didn't get back into, to play a World Cup. And that's uh, obviously disappointing from my point of view, but you know, I played in a lot of younger World Cups, which is also, also very nice, but uh, yeah, it's disappointing not to play in a proper, World Cup, Bimby. <coughs> sorry, Simon. Uh, Bimby, you, you, you've had a you had a fantastic career uh, as a player. You were you're a very technical player, and probably the type of player that we don't seem to produce too too often here in this country. Um, what what was? I know it's a tough question, but um, a main highlight for you through throughout your career. What really sticks in your mind as a as a standout memory? Oh wow. Um, yeah, listen, I enjoyed pretty much everything to do with the national team. I think, uh, you know, that's the pinnacle for any footballer to play for your national team. So that's definitely one. I played in two Olympic Games as well, which was, which was a highlight. Yep. Um, mm. You know, especially Barcelona. Probably would have liked to play a little bit more match minutes in both of them. But, um, yeah, it's it still a proud moment to represent your country at uh, Olympic Games as well. So... But I, I obviously like winning trophies uh, and, you know, that's been obviously as Sydney when I scored the winning goal for Sydney FC in the first season. I think that was something special as well because of, you know, it's the first first season in the A-League and um, and now it's, it's nice to, to win as well as a coach. It's, um, you know, it's very, uh, it's a great feeling, yeah. And you ended up a winner in your playing career as well, Steve, the final game of your professional career was uh, lifting the premiership in 2010 even though they had to lift you onto the player's shoulders a, a bit tenderly because you, you tore the hamstring yeah. off your off your bone in that particular game I against did. victory i did though i was going to retire that year anyway i actually made the call before that happened but um yeah obviously i missed out in the grand final that year in 2010 which the boys did win away in melbourne which was Fantastic, but it was uh, yeah, a proud moment to, to actually be uh, captain of the club and to win the premiership and the grand final really in that year. So that was a special, special moment in the in the club's history. Uh, Big Mitch, I've got a, one last question for you, mate. Uh, mate, I'm really proud of you to see what you've done now as a head coach. But tell us, as a head coach, to get the success, how important it is to have your backup staff behind you. And I know you got Robbie Tanton, Robbie Stanton, for people who don't know. Uh, how important how important he is to you well I think everyone's important obviously assistant coach is very important but I think if you you look at all the staff from the goalkeeper coach to 
the you know the head of high performance physios they they all do a fantastic work trudy in the treatment room uh sorry in the in the laundry room you know they all put in a massive massive shift for the club they love the club and um i think it's just very important to have a a very good culture as well as with the staff it's you know we have a lot of fun i think that's the main thing um but also, you know, they're very good at what they do. And uh, as you can see, you know, this year we, we've got Robbie. Robbie's, uh, last year we had Ufuk Tale, you know, which was very good as well for me. So, um, yeah, they've all been fantastic. Bimbi, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, thanks very much for sparing some time to come on the podcast. And obviously we wish you well against the Newcastle Jets. On Tuesday night, one more point uh, required, but we're sure you'll secure that premiership to go with last year's championship. And, uh, yeah, thanks very much, mate. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Simon. See you, James. Cheers, Bimby. Thanks, Cheers, Bimby. Cheers, Bimby. Cheers, Cheers, Cheers That, guys, is us for episode two of Shim, Spider and so much more. We'll be back next week. Don't forget to uh, engage with us via our Twitter page, at ShimMuch, capital S, capital M, and also on Facebook. And uh, share it around. Tell your friends. We're building a great football community here. So, uh, yep, we'll see you next week. From myself, Simon Hill, from Craig Wall, Zelko Kellett. See you later. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.